The 10-Minute Writers' Workshop is supported by Heinemann, a provider of resources written by real teachers for real classrooms. Heinemann values teachers as decision-makers and students as curious learners. Discover the path to lifelong professional learning at Heinemann.com. Heinemann, dedicated to teachers. So although I love this job, sometimes I get home at the end of the day and I am exhausted and it's really difficult to muster the energy to make a good dinner. It's kind of like sitting down in front of a blank page. So I think about the thing that a lot of writers say in this podcast. They say, doesn't matter if you're feeling it or not, you sit down, you do it, you show up for it. It is so much easier when you have a beautiful box at your doorstep that you open up. It's full of fresh ingredients and step-by-step instructions from Blue Apron. And Virginia, I understand that you tried Blue Apron for the first time recently. Hello, executive producer Maureen McMurray. I did indeed. I got my first sample box. There were three different meals in it. I was stunned at how simple it was and how actually interesting and delicious the things were, things that I would never try normally. Yeah, I am a total Blue Apron convert. It has totally kick-started my uh, cooking in the kitchen. Well, now you can try Blue Apron for yourself. Check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free, with free shipping, by the way, by going to blueapron.com slash 10 minute. No hyphen, just 10 minutes straight. You will love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait. It's blueapron.com slash 10 minutes. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. If only writing were this easy. This is Jody Pico with the 10-Minute Writer's Workshop. And I'm Virginia Prescott, welcoming you to our 30th 10-Minute Writer's Workshop podcast with the phenomenally successful Jody Pico. Small Great Things is her 24th novel and the ninth straight to debut at number one on the New York Times bestsellers list. If Pico has a thing, it's writing about thorny ethical issues from the perspectives of multiple characters and always a twisty ending. She's written in the voice of suicidal teens and rape victims and a school shooter, but until now never as a black character and never directly confronting racism, privilege, and inequity in America, which most people avoid talking about. We caught up with her in the green room at the Music Hall in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, before she joined me for Writers on a New England Stage. I asked our standard icebreaker, which is harder to write, the first sentence or the last? Totally the first sentence, because I always know where the book is headed. I don't always know the last line, like John Irving apparently does, but I know that I'm not allowed to let myself write until I can feel that first sentence in my head. So you said you know what's coming. Is it all plotted out pretty well for you before you even sit down to write? I always know the beginning of a book and I know the end of a book. How I get from A to Z, though, is up to the characters. So I I don't really plot the books. I just sort of know where I'm starting and where I'm headed. When do you share your writing? How far in? I actually share it uh, in process. So my first readers are always my mom and my agent. My agent, because she has a big picture view and, you know, can actually give me critical feedback. And my mom, because she's a benchmark reader. She has to laugh and cry and get upset at all the right places. If you're starting with a sort of idea of where you want to go, how much does that idea change as you go along, as you said, as the characters dictate? It really depends on the book. Because I tend to write about things that are worrying me and keeping me up at night and um, things that I need to wrestle through, which is sort of the point of writing a novel for me, I often pick a controversial issue and I think I know what my response is going to be to that issue. And very often, I may not change my opinion about a topic, but I'll change my reasons for it. 
What sometimes happens, though, is that characters do develop and become their own people and start to walk away from you. And if you're really smart, you just hold on to the reins and let it go. And I've had characters have life circumstances change that I never expected, you know. And, and to me, that's the fun part of writing when a character throws you as an author for a loop. You're known for writing about things that are very contemporary, like, as you said, things that keep you up at night. What is that process like? Do some things stick and others don't? More importantly, something that doesn't stick this year might stick very hard two years from now. So I have a whole box full of things that I'm worried about or thinking about or news stories that really made me sit and think or get upset. And sometimes if I ever run dry, I could sift through them and, and really see, like you said, you know, what rises to the surface. You know, for example, with this particular book, Small Great Things, this is not the first time I tried to write about racism. And yet I couldn't seem to find the right way to tell the story or explain to myself if I had the right to tell this particular story until now. 2016 seems like a really good time to be telling this story. Yeah, well, I, I think so too. You put out a book a year. So do you work on a really tight schedule? Is it a daily schedule, an annual schedule? How do you plot that out? I put out a book a year for about 20 two years and then I put out a book every two years which was nice because it meant I could actually take a vacation during the year for me it's very regimented and most of it is because when you do publish a book and you're promoting that book that is a certain amount of time that you are not home you are not writing you are not thinking about writing you're basically thinking about staying upright for three months as you do a world book tour that leaves you nine months in which to write a book if it's you're on a yearly process and so it depends on the book. There are sometimes that research can be done in three months, and there are sometimes it takes, you know, seven or eight months to get everything you need before you can sit down and begin to write. For Small Great Things, it took me almost an entire year to do the research, and I had almost, I had over 1,200 pages of notes when I sat down to write. So how about rituals? Like, you know, anything that you have to do before you write or do during your writing or when things feel a little fallow? Um, I have a really awesome husband, and he brings me the best cup of coffee on the planet every day. I can't say that that fuels me, but it sure helps, um, and I miss it dreadfully when I'm away from home. I usually start my morning by exercising, and then when I get to my desk, it's about 7.30 in the morning, I have that cup of coffee, and often I just don't leave that desk until about 4.30. How about the fact that you write about a lot of contemporary issues like this book, the Trayvon Martin case? everything that's happened in the Black Lives Matter movement, do you worry about how that will age? No, because, you know, although this feels particularly relevant right now to be talking about racism in 2016, the reality is this has been relevant for the past 200 years. The only difference is that we are in an age of 24-7 news cycles and social media. So when microaggressions play out, or macroaggressions in the case of the shooting of an unarmed black man by police, we see it in real time. And so it feels particularly timely right now. But I actually would argue that that's a fallacy, that this has been timely for a very long time. How about for new writers? What do you think is the most common mistake? And if you remember this from your own, the beginnings of your own career, most common mistake that new writers make? The most common mistake I think new writers make is quitting. You know, very often you're in the middle of a short story or a novel and you suddenly look down and realize you have written the worst piece of literature in the history of mankind. And most people throw it out and say, you know, I'm not, I'm, I can't do this anymore. 
that's a really bad thing. It's actually a psychological hurdle that you've hit when that happens. The reason you're not finishing is because what happens if you do finish and you're not as good a writer as you thought you were? That's terrifying. So what I always encourage people to do is to push through it, finish whatever you started, and then decide whether you want to fix it or scrap it. Because if you don't finish all the way to the end, you will never believe that you can and you never actually will finish anything. So fear of success slash fear of failure. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, is there a book or a work of art or something that made you want to be a writer? When I was 13, I read Gone with the Wind for the first time. Um, I used to act out parts as both Rhett and Scarlet, which is why I didn't have a boyfriend until I was 15. And I loved that book. I loved the way that Margaret Mitchell had created an entire world out of words. I could taste it. I could smell it. I could see it. And I distinctly remember the moment that I kind of stopped reading and thought, I could do that. That's very telling that you acted out both I parts. <laughs> So what is um, the best piece of advice that you ever received about writing? It came from my mentor, who was Mary Morris. Um, she was my teacher at Princeton University in their creative writing program, and I would not be doing what I'm doing if not for her. And one of the things she said, which will probably make no sense unless you were in her workshop, was you can't write about the dinosaurs until they become oil. And what she meant was, you know, very often when we feel something very deeply emotionally or if something happens to us that we want to channel into fiction, we're too close to it. You have to be able to push it away long enough to be able to dissect it. And that was a very important message for me. Um, that and if you are madly in love with a sentence in something you've written, it's probably the sentence you're going to wind up cutting. <laughs> yeah. How about the worst advice? Uh, probably the worst advice was, um, what you know? <laughs> yeah, you know, it really was because I don't read anything I know. Um, you know, we were told that when I started out in creative writing and, and I remember, I remember thinking, you know, I, I honestly have nothing to write about. I grew up in suburbia. My parents are happily married. I have a little brother and I like him. You know, there was just nothing in my family that screamed angst and, um, I didn't know where to go with that. I did make a conscious choice to write the things I was willing to learn instead. What's on your nightstand now? Um, well, right now, my nightstand will have a Kindle on it because my nightstand is different every night on a book tour. Uh, but the book that I'm in the middle of reading is an advanced galley of Chris Bojalian's The Sleepwalker, and it's great so far. How about fantasy job other than writer? Oh, oh this is a great question. Um, I would be a pastry chef. <laughs> Yes, really? yes, because I love baking, and my husband doesn't like it when I bake because he loves eating, uh, but I really like it. I have a great time, and when it's the holidays, my son Kyle and I are always in the kitchen together making something. Anything that goes well with coffee. Right, exactly. <laughs> perfect. That's why we're the perfect match. <laughs> Jody Pico, thank you so much. Thank you. Jody Pico. She's got about 40 million books in print worldwide, but says her newest, Small Great Things, was one of the hardest to write. The Washington Post called it her most important novel yet. The 10-Minute Writers' Workshop is a production of NHPR, produced by Sarah Plourd with help from Maureen McMurray. There are now 30 workshops with creativity prods from the likes of Stacey Schiff, Andre Debuse III, Joe Hill, and other nonfiction, literary fiction, commercial fiction, and genre fiction writers. And you won't miss a one when you subscribe on iTunes or Google Play. And you'll get instant writing practice when you leave a review, which helps spread the ideas and the love. We're so grateful for your support.